Well, I've entitled this message this morning, Christ Will Build His Church. And our text is going to be in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Most of you probably are unaware of this, but this month marks 36 years since the starting of this church, Christian Family Fellowship. In those 36 years, hundreds of people have attended this church and had their lives impacted by Jesus Christ through the preaching and teaching of His Holy Word. Many have been saved. Many have been baptized. Many have been discipled. And many have been trained for ministry. Some of those have gone on to various ministry roles in other churches as well. This church has stood through many trials and tribulations. And the reason that it has done so is Christ. This church, all of its members, belong to Christ. He is the head of this church. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes Jesus Christ in his letter to the Colossians. I'm going to read just briefly from Colossians chapter 1, where Paul writes, He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. Some powerful statements right there. That would make a great sermon. Christ created the church. Christ sustains the church, and Christ is the head of the church which is both his body and his bride. Christ loves his church. Christ loves all who are a part of his church. And Christ is indeed the head of the church. And in our text for today, we'll also see that Christ is the foundation of the church, Christ is the builder of the church, and Christ is the victor for the church. Our focus will be on Jesus' statement to his disciples found in Matthew 6.18, where Jesus says, quote, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now there are some glorious truths contained in this simple statement. So let's look at our text so we can understand the context of this statement. If you are able, please stand for the reading of our text, which is God's Word. I'll be reading from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, 
others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. Matthew tells us here that Jesus and some of his disciples go to Caesarea Philippi, and there Jesus asks them two questions. In verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man was the title that Jesus used regarding himself, so he is asking, who do people say that I am? And he gets various responses. And then in verse 15, he asks the second question, but who do you say that I am? Let me tell you something. That's the most important question that's ever been asked and ever could be asked. Who do you say that Jesus is? The second question is like their final exam. Okay, You've got to get this one right in order to be prepared for what is to come. You need to get this question right. Who is Jesus? Simon Peter replies for all of them, you are the Christ or Messiah, the son of the living God. From the beginning, the disciples had believed that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. But Peter's confession shows us that God had revealed to them that Jesus was also the son of God. He was the God-man, God in human form. And with this answer, Peter passed his final exam. He and the other disciples were going to be used by God to establish his church, his body of believers on planet Earth. This is what Jesus is telling Peter and the others in his response to their declaration. He is in essence saying, yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I am the son of the living God. And upon this rock, upon this statement of truth, I will build my church. Now, you need to know that this is the very first time that we're aware of in the New Testament that the word church is used. So this is three years into Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus is about 33 years old at this point. And it's the first time the word church is used. So Jesus is announcing that he is going to build something new upon this planet. It will be built by him and for him. It will be his church. 
And the word there in the Greek is ekklesia. And ekklesia means those who are called out or the called out ones. Christ himself is going to call people from every tribe and tongue and nation to be a part of his church. Christ himself is the foundation for that church. Christ himself is the builder and owner, and Christ is the victor who will one day be victorious over all his enemies. And in the meantime, allows us to build his church against all enemies. So let's start with the fact that Christ is the foundation of his church. He says, on this rock, on this cornerstone, on this foundation stone, I will build my church. The rock, the foundation stone upon which the church is built is Jesus. Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus as our Savior. Jesus as our Lord. The fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the one sent by the Father to save his people, is foundational to our understanding of our salvation. Especially the fact that he is the divine Son of God. Fully God who became fully human. As I said earlier, he is the God-man. He is the second Adam who came to live a perfect, sinless life. You know, the life that we could not live because we are all sinners, aren't we? He lived the perfect life. And then he lay down his human life as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. He who knew no sin, the scripture tells us, became sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin took on the sin for everyone who would believe in him, for everyone that would trust in him. Last Sunday, we we had a glorious time of celebrating the baptism of two young men who God sovereignly called into his church. And one of those young men stood up here and said that now he knows the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. It's not enough to know about Jesus. It's a good thing to know about Jesus. Nothing wrong with knowing about Jesus. But we must know him as Savior. We must know him as Lord. If we are going to be credited with the righteousness of Jesus. And that is what we need in order to be in right standing with God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. He is the embodiment of truth. He is our source of eternal life. And as such, he is the cornerstone of our church, of the church. It is only through putting our faith and trust in him, in his finished work of redemption, that we can be saved 
and be added to His church. It's glorious for us to realize that Jesus Himself met all of the requirements for us to experience forgiveness for our sins, for us to be reconciled to God, for us to be adopted into the family of God, into His church. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Amen? Jesus paid it all. So Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. His finished work on the cross, the foundation of the church. Christ is also the builder and owner of His church. Again, look at verse 18. He goes on to say, I will build my church. Now remember, this is the Son of God speaking here. When Jesus says, I will do something, He will do something. Amen? Nothing can stand against Him. Nothing. Christ is personally involved in the building of His church. It is Christ who saves those who will become his church. It is the Spirit of Christ that indwells his people, his church, and empowers us to continue the building process. Is the building of Christ's church completed? No. If it was, he would have returned. The only thing delaying his return is that his church be completed on the earth. The last person chosen by God to be saved is brought into the family of God. There is no reason for him to delay any longer at that point. So, his spirit indwells us and empowers us to continue this building process. And it's been this way from the beginning. In our Sunday school class this morning, we were studying the ascension of Jesus. We find that account in Acts chapter 1. And before Jesus, in his glorified, resurrected body, before he ascends back into heaven, he tells his disciples that they need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them, the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, so that they can be his what? witnesses, right? They are to go out as his witnesses, as his church builders, if you will. But they can't do this on their own. They would be powerless to do so. But with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, they can accomplish the work that God has given them to do. His disciples were used by Christ to begin to build his church on the day of Pentecost. Remember, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, goes into Jerusalem, into the same, speaking to the same people that had crucified Christ 50 days before. He preaches the gospel, and 3,000 are saved. That's the power of the Holy Spirit to build the church. And we as followers of Christ 
listen to me, are given that very same Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us so that we can experience that divine power as we go out to fulfill the divine mandate we have been given to be His witnesses, to build His church. We are to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them so that they can go out and do the same. And what a blessing and privilege it is. Amen? To know Christ, to be filled with the Spirit of Christ, and to be given this role to be used by Christ to see others saved and brought into the church. We are fellow workers with Christ in building His church. Now listen, apart from Him, we can do nothing, but through Christ, we can do all things that He has called us to do. Amen? In his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul describes this process. The process of Christ working through His followers to build up His church. And if you'd like to, you can turn to Ephesians 4. I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. A little too long for me to put that up on the screen for you. Listen to what Paul writes here. And remember, what we're looking at here is how the church is built up. How does the church continue to be built up? This is what he says. Verse 11, And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So who's building up the body of Christ? The saints. Not the pastors and teachers. They're equipping you. We are equipping you to be the ministers who are going to build up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is powerful. Christ is building His church, but He is using us, the members of His church, as His laborers, as His co-laborers. He supplies the Word He supplies the plan. He supplies the power. But we are his workmen, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand, that we should live those out. The whole body 
is built up by every joint, every member. When each part is working properly, the body grows. And that's what our church needs. That's what the church of Jesus Christ needs. All of us to be doing our part, contributing in whatever way God has made it possible for us to do so, to build up the body of Christ. Note, the church belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to the pastor or even to the elders. It belongs to Christ because he purchased it with his own blood. That's exactly what Paul wrote to the Ephesian elders or spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 28, where Paul writes, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the elders, the pastors, are to care for the church, but the church belongs to Christ. It is his. We are his. Christ has purchased each member of his church with his own precious blood, shed on the cross to pay the price for our sins, so that we are now his. We belong to him, not to ourselves. We are his church, his called out ones. We are now to be working for him in building his church. This is our mandate from God as long as we are on this earth. As long as I am here, my mandate is to be his witness and build his church. Christ is building his church here at CFF. Christ is building his church in Sonoma County. Christ is building his church in the United States of America, both red and blue states. And Christ is building his church around the world. And you and I are privileged, blessed, to be chosen by God to be co-laborers with Christ in building his church. Christ is also the victor over all our enemies. In this verse, Jesus makes it clear that nothing and no one can stand in the way of his building his church. The end of verse 18, we read these words from Jesus himself, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Against what? His church. His plan for his church. So not even the gates of hell can prevail against Christ building his church. But what exactly does this phrase mean, the gates of hell? Well, the most common view is that it refers to attacks on the church by Satan and his demonic forces. And that this is a promise that Satan will not succeed in his attacks upon the church. The problem with that view is the word gates. That's a strange way to talk of an attacking enemy. Most enemies don't attack with their gates. 
It suggests instead a defensive position. The gates are meant to defend against an attack from outside. So the natural way to understand this is that hell will not be able to resist the church assaulting its stronghold. And that is, of course, true. No one or no thing can resist God. No one, no thing can stand against God. But the other understanding of this phrase, the gates of hell, is that it refers to death. Because passing through hell's gates was a common Jewish way of referring to death. They would say, that person has passed through the gates of hell. So it may mean that the idea here is that not even death can prevent the church from being built. Not the death of the apostles, not the death of witnesses, not the deaths that occur during great persecution of the church by the forces of darkness. That not even death can destroy the church that Christ is building. And so the followers of Christ need not fear death. Amen? Because Christ has conquered death for us. I can stand here before you honestly and say to you, I have absolutely no fear of death whatsoever. I'm looking forward to it. Now, the pain and suffering that precedes it, I'm not looking forward to so much. But you know what? I know that through the Spirit of God, God will allow me to glorify Him even through those things. And we know this because we've been impacted by others who are facing death. And we see how they trust in Christ. I mean, we just lost our dear sister, Judy. And I can tell you something. She was absolutely confident when she died, she'd be with the Lord. That was something she was looking forward to. She had suffered in pain for years, years. Hardly ever anybody knew that. She had a terminal diagnosis for three and a half years before she passed. In fact, when she started working in the office, she said, Pastor, I don't know how long I can do this because I'm supposed to be dead in a year. Okay? That was five years ago. She was dying. But she knew where she was going. And believe me, she's rejoicing today in being there. So death cannot stop the growth of the church. The idea being communicated here is that the church and God's plan for the church makes the church invincible because it belongs to Christ. And Christ has already conquered Satan. He's conquered the demons. He's conquered sin. And he's conquered death. Amen? Christ is our victor. He has conquered our enemies and will one day bring them to an end. 
And we read about his victory in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. We read this. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might defeat the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That describes us, folks. Whether we admit it or not, before Christ saved us, we lived in fear of death. Those in the world that do not know Christ, they do not know what's coming after they die. They are not looking forward to death. In fact, they will do everything in their power to resist death. Should not be for a believer. It is not. Because we know Christ has already conquered death for us. We are free from slavery to sin, slavery to death. Jesus took our humanity, dying in our place for us, but death could not hold him. On the third day, he rose from the dead that we might know that he has conquered sin, conquered Satan, conquered death. He is the victor over all of our enemies. We do not need to fear what the enemy will do in resisting are building his church. We're going to build it regardless of the opposition, regardless of what the enemy tries to do to stop us. Amen? That's our mandate. We who are in Christ, we are who, who are his church, we have no need to fear because Christ goes before us. Nothing in this universe can stand against Christ and his plan because Christ has already won the victory. So Christ is the foundation, Christ is the builder, and Christ is the victor. So what is left for you and I to do? I'm so glad you asked that question. As I have said repeatedly, you and I are called to be co-laborers with Christ in the continuing work of building His church on this earth. You and I are called to live for Christ and to work for Christ. We are called to be His witnesses, sharing the gospel with those that He puts in our path. We are called to bring others into His church and to minister to them in any way that we can. We are called to the work of the ministry. The ministry that God has given us. We are to be witnesses, disciplers, teachers, teachers, and coaches. We are to encourage one another, build up one another, support one another. We are called to pray for the lost and for the church and for one another. We are called to encourage one another. We are called to financially contribute to the church, support the work of the church. We are called to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in the church. We are called to be the church. You and I. 
to be the called out ones. The ones who have been saved from the darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. We're called to be the church. Christ will build his church for his glory. And we should be so grateful and feel so blessed to be chosen by him to join in that marvelous work. So I pray that we will rededicate ourselves to the unfinished task of building his church as Christ's co-laborers until he returns for us, his chosen ones, his church, his spotless bride. Until that day, let us live as the church of Jesus Christ, with him as our foundation, our builder, and our victor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to be here today, for us to come together as your church. Every man, woman, boy, and girl who is here today who have trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation have been born again by the power of Christ and have been filled with his spirit are a part of his church. And we are so blessed, Father God, to be counted among your saints, your beloved children. But Father God, there is a task that is not yet finished because there are others who still need to know Christ as Savior and Lord, still need to be brought into his church where they can be fed, where they can grow, where they can be equipped, where they can be sent out. And so, Father God, let us not grow weary, but instead let us rededicate ourselves to this task that you've given to us, to be your witnesses, but to also be your church, to support the work and to work together with one another and with Christ to build his church. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good.